0: Today on The John Ackerberg Show, my guest is Dr. Stephen Meyer, who received his PhD in the philosophy of science from Cambridge University. He will refute six false popularly held scientific ideas. First, the new atheist belief that religion has always been in conflict with science. Second, that the beginning of the universe out of nothing does not point to God. Third that quantum cosmology has a better explanation for what happened. Fourth, that the fine tuning of the universe happened by chance. Fifth, how the Cambrian explosion in the fossil record does not challenge Darwin's chemical theory of biological evolution. Sixth, how in the nucleus of each cell in our human body is a DNA molecule, which contains a storehouse of three billion characters of precise information in digital code. This code instructs the cell how to build complex shaped molecules called proteins that do all the work so that the cell can stay alive. They say that this complex information came about strictly by chance. And finally, why today's scientific evidence does not point to a materialistic scientific beginning, or the work of a pantheistic deity, or a deistic deity, but rather to a theistic deity. To hear why, we invite you to join us for this special edition of The John Inkenberg Show. Welcome to our program. Boy, do we have a great one for you today. You tune in the right day, all right? I'm John Ankerberg, and my guest is the philosopher of science, Dr. Stephen Meyer, who received his Ph.D. from Cambridge University in England, and he has written The Return of the God Hypothesis. Three scientific discoveries that reveal the mind behind the universe. This is a fantastic book. Tell us about these three great scientific discoveries that challenge the atheistic, materialistic worldview.
1: Right. Well, we've uh, cited our, our uh, opposite number in this discussion. Richard Dawkins, the great scientific atheist from Oxford University, a number of times. And he has this wonderful way of framing the big issues in science. And one of the things that he has said is that the universe has exactly the properties we should expect if at bottom there's no purpose, no design, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference, which is his shorthand for materialism. And it's a wonderful quote because it really puts the worldviews to the test. It says, here's the test. Do the things we've discovered about nature, about in particular biological and cosmological origins, are they what you'd expect from a materialistic worldview, from blind, pitiless, Undirected processes, or are they what you'd expect from a theistic worldview, which involves a pre existing mind? Right. And I have argued that there are three big discoveries that have been made that are, f- from a materialistic standpoint, very surprising. They're not what you would expect at all. They were not just surprising to you, but they were surprising, surprising to the scientists, to the scientists around the world. Who, who made them. Yep. And the first of those discoveries is that the universe had a beginning. And we had a couple of uh, wonderful episodes on your program discussing the story of how this was discovered, right. but basically there were two lines of evidence, or two main developments in science. One was the evidence from observational astronomy that came from Edwin Hubble, Hubble mm-hmm. who discovered that the universe was expanding outward in a roughly spherically symmetric way like a balloon, implying that as you go back in time, you would eventually get to a beginning of that expansion marking the beginning of the universe.
0: Yeah. How many galaxies do you think are out there? You gave us. Well, a number Well, I gave a before. conservative
1: estimate in my book of 200 billion. I've since been told by astronomers that the more current estimate may actually be two trillion, which is another ten I, times that I want to start many.
0: with that because think of two trillion, ours is one galaxy, but think of two trillion more making up what is called the universe. The visible and universe. And this fellow right? here, through his 100-inch telescope, he discovered that it was kind of round in shape. And there's reasons for that, but the fact is, think of all of those in one big
1: round, just an expanding, expanding. outward, that space is expanding yeah. in the forward direction of time, outward from a beginning point. that's right. and that that perspective was confirmed by developments in theoretical physics with the great princeton German Jewish professor Albert Einstein, the guy mm-hmm. with the famous bad hair, who was such a genius. And Einstein had a theory of gravity that implied that that massive bodies are bending space, or what he called space-time, the interconnection of space and time. And as, as you go forward in the outward direction, space is expanding, but in the reverse direction, at any progressive point in the past, the spatial volume of the universe would have been smaller and smaller and smaller. And that means the matter of the universe would have been more densely compacted, which would mean that the space would also be more tightly curved. And eventually, you'd get back to a beginning point where space was so tightly curved that it corresponded to zero spatial volume. The great Cambridge physicist, Stephen Hawking, first proved that there was a, what he called a singularity at the beginning of the universe when he solved Einstein's equations for gravity called his field equations.
0: And he was sitting in the Isaac Newton chair at Cambridge when you were a student there, right?
1: I was fortunate enough to attend one lecture series he did on a little mm. book that he later published called The Brief History of Time. And but, what, th- what did he figure out? He was able to solve Einstein's famous equations, and in so doing, establish that, yes, indeed, this intuitive idea that as you go back in time, the universe would be smaller and smaller, but the space would be more tightly curved. And the implication of his work was that the universe, at some finite time in the past, would reach a limiting case where matter became so densely concentrated and space so tightly curved that it would go to an infinite curvature corresponding to zero spatial volume.
0: We, we talked about how big the universe was, how many galaxies are out there. All right, think of that being compacted. And these fellows came down to the view of a singularity. How well, big was the go, singularity? Yeah, if
1: you go to zero spatial volume, there's no place to put any matter. It's not a little space. The implication of the singularity theory is that there's no space. That's okay? right. Now, in subsequent episodes, we talked about a, 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 a possible way around that conclusion. And so in my book, I say that the singularity theorem points to a beginning, but does not absolutely prove it. But the ways of getting around that uh, conclusion involve a very heady uh, approach in physics, or theory in physics, called quantum cosmology. Hawking later developed it because he didn't like the implication of his own singularity theorem. But what I showed in the book, and we won't go into it again, people could go back to episode three, I think it was. is that. when when even this quantum cosmological model, which was designed to try to circumvent the conclusion of the beginning, invoked a pre-existing mathematical reality out of which the material universe would have come. But we know from experience that math always exists in a mind. So even the attempt to get around the idea of a beginning took us back to mathematical equations that must have existed in a mind. So math has no causal power to create matter and energy. And so even the attempt to exploit this little possible loophole in the singularity proof, and it was inside a spatial volume of 10 to the minus 33rd of a centimeter is what they were talking about. Inside that volume, gravity might have worked differently. So we can't be sure we can extrapolate all the way back to a beginning, but even if you invoke that, Inadvertently you end up proving the very thing you were trying to refute because you come back to a mathematical reality not a material one and Math only exists in a mind and one of the great Physicists who developed quantum cosmology saw this and he said are we therefore actually implying that before there was a material universe That a mind predated the material universe and I think that is what was implied And this leads to the second big discovery that has been made the physicists have discovered that our actual universe evidences what's called fine-tuning. Mm-hmm. That the fundamental parameters of our universe, the strength of the basic forces like gravity and electromagnetism, Are so or fine-tuned. the speed of light, or the, the rate of the expansion of the universe, or the force that produces that expansion, or the masses of the elementary particles, that all these fundamental p- parameters, are finely tuned, that is to say they fall within very narrow tolerances or very narrow ranges which allow life to exist in the universe. And in some cases, those parameters falling within those narrow ranges are necessary just to allow basic chemistry to get something beyond hydrogen. This is an illustration we talked about from Sir John Polkinghorne, the great Cambridge physicist who became later in his life an Anglican priest after a religious (laughs) conversion. And Polkinghorne used to illustrate the fine-tuning by asking you to imagine that you had docked at the space station that included the universe creating machine for the whole universe. And you went in and there was the console with the dial for the gravitational force constant and another one with a dial for the strength of electromagnetism and another slider that determined the speed of light and on and on. And because you're a physics geek and you work with your pencil and your slide rule, you quickly calculate that if any of these parameters were shifted by one click this way or that way, then life in the universe and maybe even basic chemistry would be impossible. And not only that, but it would throw every one of the other dials off. Well, possibly, or just all of them needed to be just right simultaneously That's the main idea. And so Polkinghorne used to ask his audiences when he lectured on this, well, what do you make of that? And I I mentioned in a previous interview with you that I had a chance to interview him, Uh and I asked him that question, and he said with his, his high Oxbridge accent, well, I don't say that the atheists are stupid. I just say that theism provides a more satisfying explanation. And again and again, we found that the physicists who encountered this evidence said, as Paul Davies, a great British physicist, said, the impression of design is overwhelming. Or as Fred Hoyle put it, a common sense interpretation of the fine-tuning evidence suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics and chemistry to make life possible. Mm -hmm. And so the fine-tuning evidence is the second big discovery. The universe had a beginning, and that suggests the need for a transcendent cause beyond the universe to bring it into existence. The fine-tuning evidence suggests a transcendent cause because this affects the whole of the universe, but also a transcendent intelligent cause necessary to set those parameters up so that we live in the Goldilocks universe that, that physicists are talking about.
0: Transcendent simply means it had to be outside of the universe because at first, if he brought it into existence, there was nothing. And so, he had to be outside of time, space, matter, and so on. That's why we call it transcendent, and he brought it into existence.
1: Well, right. Let's go back to that singularity theorem, or just the basic Big Bang idea. Mm -hmm. If there's a beginning to the universe, and by the universe we mean matter, energy, space, and time, then whatever caused the universe to come into existence can't be matter, space, time, or energy. It must be something that is not material or energetic in the physical sense and it can't reside within space and time, because those are the things that first come into existence with the beginning of the universe. And so that suggests an entity which, in the philosophical terminology, transcends matter, space, time, and energy, and also has the capability of initiating a great change of state from nothing physical to everything physical that we see. And that suggests a volitional act, something like our concept of God. Another way of thinking of that is if we look at the, the evidence we have about the beginning of the universe, if we posit a transcendent mind of great power, we can explain that event, whereas if we limit ourselves to materialistic explanations, there's no matter prior to the beginning of the universe to do the causing. And so of those two possible explanations, a transcendent God provides a better explanation, a more causally adequate explanation than positing Pre-existing matter or energy, because it's matter and energy that come into existence, and before that, we're not permitted to to posit matter and energy as a cause, right. because they only first come into existence at the beginning. Perfect. First
0: thing is we have the origin of the universe. Second thing we got fine-tuning of the universe. Third thing is in the human body we found DNA, and we look in DNA, and we all of a sudden realize. It's loaded with information. Where did that information come from?
1: Right, and not just the human body, but every cell of every living organism. So if we look at a profound mystery confronting uh, biologists today, which is the origin of the first life, and nearly all scientists, including evolutionary biologists, acknowledge that we have no materialistic evolutionary explanation for the origin of the first cell. How do you get from chemicals in a prebiotic soup to the first cell? And one of the reasons that that's such a problem to explain is that living cells contain, they're not simple, they contain digital information as part of a complex information storage, transmission and processing system. And in our experience, we know that information always arises from an intelligent source. That's part of our uniform and repeated experience, the basis of all scientific reasoning. So Bill Gates has said, as we've quoted before, that DNA is like a software program, but much more complex than any we've ever created. Remark is highly suggestive because we know that software comes from programmers and we know that all forms of information Especially information in a digital or alphabetic form comes from an intelligent source So that discovery suggests intelligent design at the beginning of life And I've argued in my new book that when we take these three discoveries jointly or take them together the universe had a beginning the universe has been finely tuned from the beginning and since the beginning, we've had big infusions of digital information into our biosphere that only one of the major worldviews can explain those three great discoveries about biological and cosmological origins, and that's classic theism. All right, let's take those worldviews.
0: We've got pantheism, we've got deism, we've got panspermia, and we've got theism. The fact is, let's take the none atheistic of, materialistic view.
1: Yeah, none of these three big discoveries were expected on a materialistic worldview. Carl Sagan in his famous cosmos series famously said the universe is all there is all there ever was all there ever will be the Materialistic view of reality was that matter and energy are eternal and self-existence the the physical universe has always been here But what's been discovered in modern cosmology is the opposite that the material universe of matter space time and energy Had a beginning a finite time ago before which We cannot posit um, a, a material explanation because it was matter and energy that began at the beginning so logically speaking it makes no sense to posit a prior material state if matter and energy actually begin a finite time ago Um, but uh, materialism also doesn't expect the fine-tuning because that implies a mind that transcends the whole of physical reality that's able to structure the physical parameters of the universe from the very beginning right and yet materialism denies a pre-existing mind. And thirdly, materialism as we've seen in previous episodes, uh, an undirected materialistic evolutionary process has failed to explain the origin of the information that arises long after the beginning in the history of life, both at the point of the origin of the first cell, but then later in these big explosions of new forms, such as the Cambrian explosion. People can go back and watch those episodes to to get more of the, the argument there. But materialism didn't expect the universe to have a beginning. It doesn't expect the fine-tuning of the universe, and it doesn't expect to find an intricate information storage transmission and processing system. Well, in essence,
0: we've knocked off the atheistic materialistic worldview, and we've got four left. I think they are pantheism, we've got deism, we've got what is called panspermia, which is alien interference,
1: and then the last one
0: is theism. Let's take pantheism.
1: Well, pantheism is the worldview that's common in many Eastern religions, and it holds that there is a God, but God does not have a mind or conscious awareness. And moreover, God is, in essence, the philosophical word is coextensive with matter. God is in the matter, and the matter is part of God. Yeah, everything is God, And, and
0: God is everything.
1: Exactly. But pantheism has a problem, therefore, the same problem that materialism has in explaining the origin of the material universe, because if the pantheistic God is part of matter, but matter begins a finite time ago, then before the universe comes into existence, God didn't exist. There's no God there to do the causing, just as in materialism, there's no matter there to do the causing. Uh, Moreover, since the pantheistic God is not a creator, it's not a God with a mind or intentions or intellect, the pantheistic God doesn't have the the attributes to explain the fine-tuning of the universe or the evidence of design that we see in biology, in particular, the digital code. Panspermia,
0: this is a very, this is what you call an exotic view. What is yeah, it?
1: Well, the panspermia idea has actually been proposed by a number of scientists, in particular uh, Francis Crick and even Richard Dawkins has floated the idea. And that's the idea that, yes, we see evidence of design in living systems, but maybe that evidence is the product of a prior Intelligence within the cosmos—a space alien designer that is living on another planetary and he system. Seeded the Earth, and, and the, that's yes, exactly. Then, then uh, the first cells were seeded on Earth, and then an evolutionary process developed here. The problem with that hypothesis is twofold. Number one, it really begs the question is the origin of the information necessary to get the evolutionary process going on some other planet that would have eventually resulted in an intelligent space alien. So it doesn't explain the ultimate origin of information. Right. But secondly, no space alien within the cosmos, no being within the cosmos, can explain the evidence of design that is built into the very fabric of the universe from the very beginning, namely the fine-tuning, the cosmological, or the cosmic fine-tuning that we've been talking about, that's present from the very beginning, and that that evidence of design precedes the origin of any putative or possible space alien that would have had to evolve over time on some planet. And also, a space alien can't affect the whole of the cosmos, only the the planet where it lives, so um, the panspermia idea does not explain uh, the whole range of these evidences that we've been looking at, neither the evidence of design in biology or the evidence in, of design in physics. And certainly the space alien doesn't explain where the origin of the universe itself came from because the space alien is in the universe and develops after that origin event.
0: got two left, deism and theism. For 40 years, Anthony Flew was the foremost philosophical atheist in the world. I had him on for a debate, and later on he changed his mind at the end of his life to deism. What is deism, and why is that what we're not saying is the intelligent design behind
1: it all? Deism is the idea that there is a transcendent God, God separate from the physical universe, that God is also the creator of the universe, but that in the deistic conception of God, God exists separate from the universe but only acts at the beginning. And and does not act subsequent to the beginning. Everything rolls after that. Exactly. It sets up the clock at the beginning and then it ticks forward without any intervention, as the deist would often put it. Um, The deistic view does a good job of explaining the origin of the universe, because the origin of the universe requires as a condition of its explanation an entity that resides separate from it, that's able to act causally to bring it into existence. And the deistic creator has that causal profile. Uh, The deistic creator could also explain the fine-tuning of the universe, because the deistic creator does have a mind. It is a conscious agent in the conception of deistic philosophers. Um, And so the fine-tuning, which calls for a fine-tuner, as many physicists have said, could be explained by a deistic creator. But deism fails to explain the evidence of design that we have that comes online, if you will, long after the beginning. That's right. Because the Deistic Creator acts by definition only at the beginning and not after the beginning of the universe. And yet we have evidence of the discrete infusions or uh, increases in the amount of information at, 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 at different points in the history of life, at the point of the origin of life, at the point of the, uh, the origin of the animals in the Cambrian explosion, and other similar events such as the origin of flowering plants or the, the mammalian radiation in the history of life. So, the deistic creator, I don't think, does a good job of explaining those events in the history of life that suggest intelligent action in the history of our planet. So,
0: what we're arguing for, the last one, is theism. And what is the theistic view of God?
1: The theistic conception of God is similar to the deistic conception in that theists conceive of God as a personal agent with a mind who is capable of volitional acts, who can act to cause things to happen. Like deism, theism affirms that God is separate from the physical universe. But unlike deism, theism affirms that God can act within the created order, that God acts to sustain the orderly concourse of nature that we describe with the laws of nature, but that God also acts as an agent within that matrix of natural law in special ways that are discernible within the context of the laws of nature that he otherwise sustains and upholds. So theism thinks of God as having three powers, the ability to create the universe in the first place, the ability to sustain the orderly concourse of nature, and the ability to act discreetly at points of time along the timeline. Now what we see with these three big discoveries about biological and cosmological origins is evidence of all three of those types of powers. We see evidence of a creation event at the beginning of the universe with what we now call the Big Bang. And the positing a theistic creator helps explain that because to explain the origin of the physical universe of matter, space, time, and energy, we need to posit something that is not bound by space and time and is not itself material or energetic in the physical sense. The concept of God, as traditionally held by by Jews and Christians and other traditional theists, is precisely an agent which is separate from the creation, that is spirit, but that has volitional capability, causal powers, to bring things into existence or to cause things to happen. In addition, the God of theism is a God that has conscious awareness, that is intelligent, that that is supremely wise. And therefore, the evidence we see of intelligence or wisdom in the fine-tuning of the universe to bring about life long after the fact also is explained well by a theistic conception of God. God is transcendent, but God also has a mind. And so we see evidence of both the need for a transcendent cause in the beginning of the universe, but also the need for an intelligent agent. But finally, the theistic view, unlike the deistic view, affirms an agent who is also active in the creation long after the fact. And we see, with the evidence of design and biology, evidence of such activity. Way down the timeline, after the beginning, at the beginning of the, at the point of the origin of life and the origin of subsequent forms of life. So when you look at those three big discoveries about biological and cosmological origins, what's required to explain all three together is an, a transcendent, intelligent agent who is also active in the creation. And that's exactly what theism affirms, whereas Deism affirms two, but not all three of those powers. Pantheism and materialism affirm none of them. And the space alien idea only explains one, the idea of an agent that acts after the beginning. But even that begs the question about the ultimate origin of information and doesn't explain where the universe and its fine-tuning came from in the first place. So theism provides the best overall explanation for the the big discoveries that have been made about biological and cosmological origins. Folks,
0: I hope you enjoy this as much as I did today. And uh, if you did, stay tuned because I got a special announcement for you of how you can get this information. Stick with me. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay tuned. John will be right back. Thanks for joining me today. If you'd like to have all of the information in our current TV series with Dr. Stephen Meyer, it's entitled The New Scientific Evidence that points to the existence of God. We are making available all nine TV programs in a package of three DVDs for a gift of only $117. Then, we are also making available Dr. Steve Meyer's award-winning 568-page hardcover book, The Return of the God Hypothesis, for a gift of only $25. And if you would like to have all four of the items mentioned, they are available together for a special gift of just $120. Finally, I highly recommend three hour-long state-of-the-art computer animated documentary films for the special price of only $30. They are called The Privileged Planet, in which you will see modern biology, physics, cosmology, and astronomy that point toward a supernatural creator. Second, unlocking the mystery of life, which will transport you by state-of-the-art computer animation into the interior of the trillions of cells in our bodies to show you the systems and machines that are present and bear the unmistakable hallmarks of God's design. And then third, Darwin's dilemma why the new scientific evidence about the origin of life may put an end to Darwinian evolution. Now, if you wish to order any of these items individually or all of them together, you may call us now at 1-800-805-3030. That's 1-800-805-3030. We may order these items at our website right now at jashow.org. That's jashow.org. And then those of you who live in Canada may order these materials by calling us at 1-866-746-5803. That's 1-866-746-5803. And our Canadian website is jashow.ca. And when we receive your gift, we will send you a receipt and a personal thank you.